0: Make your way to your seat this morning. Well, I want to say uh, to anyone who I have not met yet, uh, my name is Nathan. I would love to meet you. Uh, my wife and I, we were pastors of a church called Vine Church that recently joined Gateway a few weeks back. So uh, still trying to get to know as many of the uh, longtime Gatewayers as possible. But also, if you're new and you don't even know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. I'd still like to know you as well. I'd still like to get to know you. Uh, married, uh, have four children, four of them. So I one-upped Pastor Gabriel um, with four, but... He said, we can have it. We like it. You know, we like, we like all four kids, you know, most of the time. Most of the time, we like all four of them. You know, you know how it goes. And uh, if you're a parent in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not, you're like, we love all our children. Well, of course, we love them. It doesn't mean you always like all of them all the time. But let's move on from that. Uh, we are continuing a series called Culture Shock. Pastor Gabriel started a couple weeks ago. And today, the title of today's message is Growing not stagnant. Growing, not stagnant. Whether you've been following Jesus for two weeks or 50 years, there's more for you. God has more for your life. There are, are things that He wants to do in you, through you, around you, and with you that take a little bit of growth. See, the thing is, is as we follow Jesus, we can't stay stagnant. We need to continue to move forward. In this series, we've talked about the way that Jesus lived in the way he invites us to live, and how that's a very different way than culture. It's a shock to our culture. But I also want to be clear, it's not just to the, a shock to our culture in 2022. It's been a shock to every culture since the world began. The way God has called us to live, the way Jesus lived is different than the way our human nature pushes us to live. Well, today we're going to talk about what is growing in my faith actually look like. What is growing in Jesus? Look like, and today's message might be a culture shock to our, you know, uh, greater culture, but it also might be a culture shock to the church culture you grew up in. The people that Jesus loved, they were messy. The way that Jesus loved was messy. Now, generally, in humanity, we like things to be cut and dry. We like them to be, you know, black and white. We like them to be certain, uh, and this is what it is, and there's a right and there's a wrong, and my way is the right way, and your way is the wrong way. Like, that's just what we like. We don't like when things are messy. We don't like when they're kind of gray. We don't like when there's this uh, ambiguity, this, you know, uh, nebulous nature to to following Jesus. But the way Jesus loved, it, it was messy. He went to dinner parties with the most hated people in society. Jesus spent time with adulterers and thieves. Scripture even calls the people that Jesus spent his time with notorious sinners. Right? Not just sinners, notorious sinners. So think of that word. They're famous for doing bad things. That's what notorious means. They're famous for doing bad things. He hung out with notorious sinners. His disciples, they really struggled to understand his love. They, they struggled to understand why he did the things he did the way he did them. And we still struggle to understand it today. You know, a, a little while back, uh, I drove home and uh, it was one of these hot days, you know, so it's humid. Uh, it's hot. I've been outside, been sweating. And so sweats, you know, pouring on my face a little bit. I get out of the car and I realize I have some sweat, you know, some condensation on my glasses And uh, for those who are glasses wearers, you're going to understand at the end of this story what it's like. But, you know, you get out of the car and instantly they just fog up. Right. You know, and so I go and I take my glasses off and I clean them on my shirt to make sure I can see properly, because without my glasses, I am blind. I can't see anything. So put my glasses on. I, I walk into the house, walk upstairs into our house, and immediately I just see like this haze this smoke or haze all over the downstairs of the house. And then, you know, the sense of urgency begins to rise when I look in the kitchen and I don't see anything smoking. I don't see my wife anywhere. So I begin to call out. I'm like, Brooke, Brooke, come here quick. Come here. And she's like, what? She's bounding down the stairs coming. And I was like, babe, like there is smoke. There's haze. Where's it coming from? Like, I don't smell anything, but something's going on. And she's like, what? And so we're trying to figure out. And then she's like there. I don't see anything. What are you seeing? And she gets up close and she's like, you should probably just clean your glasses. And they were completely covered, you know, like because all the sweat and the grease and I tried to cover, they just smudged up my glasses and I took them off. And I was like, oh yeah, there's no haze. It's just me. For those of us who wear glasses, you know that sometimes your glasses need to be cleaned. Sometimes your glasses need to be adjusted, especially if you slept in them and they're all bent up. Sometimes you need a whole new prescription because you just can't see anymore. The same is true in our faith. The same is true in our view of Jesus. The same is true in our understanding of the church family and God's people. Sometimes we need a little bit of cleaning. Sometimes we need to have, make some adjustments. Sometimes we need a whole new prescription because the way we're looking at life is incorrect. See, the way to grow spiritually, the way to not stay stagnant, the way to grow is not through behavior modification. It's not through the sheer will of me to say, I'm going to be better and I'm going to do better. The way that we grow, the way that we become more like Jesus is by encountering Jesus. It's by spending time with Jesus. The way to become more like Jesus is to grow through osmosis. means that we spend time in close proximity to him and his character, his nature, his love, his grace begins to bleed onto us. And we begin to become more like him. It's not through just trying to get better. It's encountering the person and the presence of Jesus. Now, uh, I have an object lesson today, and it's the only one I have in all of my repertoire. Okay? So this is the only one you're ever going to get from me. All right? So the next time I preach, I won't have an object lesson. uh, But I think this is a good one, so I brought it up here. And, uh, you know, you can judge for yourself if it's good or not at the end, but that's all right. So I want you to imagine, you know, this is your life. The ping pong ball inside there is that sin in your life that you really don't like. It's that little bit of greed that still shows up after following Jesus for 20 years or for two weeks. It's that little bit of those outbursts of anger. It's that little bit of pride. That's there that you just want to remove or maybe it's not a little bit. Maybe it's a lot of bit, you know well, We've been there There's sometimes where that pride that that anger that greed, whatever it might be is is bigger But what happens typically is we, we see the sin and we know we don't want that in in our lives Like I don't want that in my life And so what I try to do is I try to get in there and I try to remove that sin myself It just doesn't seem to be working Sometimes we'll spend weeks, months, years trying to remove some sort of this this this, this ailment, this, this this thing we don't like about ourselves, this this propensity to sin. We're like, I just I don't like it, and I want it gone. And I've tried it. I've done this. I've done that. I've done the twelve steps program. I've done this program. I've done that, and I and I just can't seem to get that sin out of my life. It's because we're going about it the wrong way. We're saying to grow in my faith, it's about removing this sin from my life. When I want you to think about this bottle of water here as the presence, the power of Jesus. So there's a sin in my life that I just can't get out. The more of Jesus that I get into my life, as you see that sin, which was deep down, maybe even unrecognizable at times, but I know it's there that I just couldn't get to. The more of Jesus I get in my life, that sin begins to come out to the surface. And if I just kept pouring, I'd, you know, ruin my iPad by getting it all wet. But if I just kept pouring, eventually that ping pong ball would get right here. And all I'd have to do is grab, it's still not high enough. Like I said, this is, the on- this is the only one, this is the only illustration I got. So it we'll- was, there it is. Thank-, Thank you. Thank you. I just need to drink a little Jesus. Uh, I'm just kidding. The key to spiritual growth is not modifying my behavior. It's just getting more of Jesus inside me. It's getting more of his Holy Spirit, more of his presence, more of his grace, just more of him. That's what that last song we sung was. Pull me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart. Saying, Jesus, fill me with you so that I look like you. Now, how can imperfect... Messed up people authentically encounter Jesus. I don't know if you knew this or not, but you're messed up. You're not perfect. You're not. You're messed up. I am messed up. I'm not perfect. And I won't attain perfection on this side of heaven. I won't. There will never be a day when it's like, now I'm perfect. Even though my wife may think so, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> Anyone who's married knows that's not true. How do imperfect, messed up people authentically encounter Jesus? Well, first off, we have to understand that when we authentically encounter Jesus, there's always this tension. There's this tension when we encounter his love that's difficult to fully grasp because we all have a bias. Like we all have a natural bias. A bias is a tendency to lean one way or the other. We all have a natural tendency to lean one way or the other. You know how some people are dog people and other people are clinically insane. Yeah. There's dog people and then there's the clinically insane. So we all have a bias. We either lean toward grace or we lean towards truth. We all have a bias. We either lean towards grace or we lean towards truth. So there's this tension whenever we encounter Jesus. See, there's these grace people who always give second chances while overlooking all the consequences. But there's also those truth people that hold tightly to justice and hold tightly to the rules, you know? And if, as I was talking, one of those things got you excited and one of them got you frustrated, that's your bias. Okay. John chapter one, verse 14, John here in chapter one is writing how Jesus Uh, was the word. He was with God in the beginning. And he says here, the word, which is Jesus, became flesh. Jesus made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus was full of both grace and truth. Not just truth, not just grace, but full of both. See, a growing Christian, a growing Christ follower is someone who is growing in grace and growing in truth. Not one or the other, but both. A growing Christ follower is becoming more and more like Jesus. And since Jesus was full of both, we are supposed to be growing in both. So number one, if you're taking notes and want to write this down, you can. We need to hold on to both grace and truth. We have our natural bias, our natural tendency to lean one way or the other, but we have to be vigilant and diligent to hold on to both grace and truth. We can so easily get caught up with just truth that we forget about grace. We can get so caught up with grace that we just forget about truth. And if we look at greater Christian culture, greater you know, church culture right now, we can kind of put people into buckets. These are people that are holding tightly to truth and not a whole lot of grace. These are people holding on to grace and not having a whole lot of truth. But we have to hold on to both at all times. A growing Christ follower is growing in both grace and truth. See, grace and truth are to be a beautiful marriage of two becoming one where you cannot separate them inside of us. When we hold on to truth without grace, okay, when we hold on to truth without grace, we become judgmental, self-righteous, prideful, insecure, demanding, and hypocritical. When we hold on to grace, we let go of truth. We pave the way for unbiblical living, which means we're going to miss out on all that Jesus has for us. We're going to miss it. Grace and truth, they can look messy. Grace and truth can look inconsistent. It can look unfair, you know, especially at home. Some of us, we grew up in the grace and truth families. Grace, you know, was generally mom. Truth was generally dad. You know, some of us grew up with a little too much grace. That's why none of your clothes match today. Some of us grew up with a little too much truth. That's why you're kind of obsessive compulsive. If you're just truth, there's always going to be something missing. If all you have is grace, there's always going to be something missing. We have to figure out how to embrace both. See, here's the thing. At times, if we're honest, if I'm honest, at times, I want to be one way or the other. I really like the truth part when I'm telling someone else what to do. I love the grace part when it comes to me and my flaws. Right? Anybody else that way? Yeah? No, nobody's raising their hand. Okay, that's all right. You can admit it. Because there's grace. And there's truth. You messed up. All right? Verse 16, John goes on. He says, Out of his fullness, out of the fullness of Jesus, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Which quite literally means we have received grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. It just keeps piling up. And in verse 17, he clarifies. John says, for the law was given through Moses, but truth and, get, truth and grace, grace and truth they came through Jesus Christ. See, the law told us what God requires to meet his expectations. The law was and is impossible for anyone to follow completely. The law was given for us to understand our need for grace. The law was given through Moses, but Jesus came to fulfill all the law and fulfill what the law couldn't do with the full embodiment of grace and truth. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. See, Jesus came in his fullness, full of grace, full of truth, to seek out and save those who have been lost. Authentic encounters with Jesus will always be about grace and truth. Anytime we encounter Jesus, it will always be about both. It's never one or the other. Number two, not only do we need to hold on to both grace and truth, we need grace to embrace truth. To embrace the truth, we need grace. You know, there's a story in John chapter 8 when a woman has been caught in the act of adultery. She's thrown down on the ground in front of Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they say, Jesus, the law of Moses, the law, okay? The law, which is what they followed, the law of Moses, says that we are to stone people, to murder people who are caught in the act of adultery. What do you say that we do? Now, in verse six, John's clear here. He says, they were using this question as a trap. In order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. Now they're using it for a trap. Because they wanted to trap Jesus. If he commanded that they stone. And kill this woman. Then the Romans would have cause to arrest him. Because only a Roman can command someone to die. But. If Jesus says, don't kill her, don't stone her, then they would use it against him saying he didn't follow the law of their forefathers. He didn't follow the law of Moses. So they're using this question to trap Jesus. And then Jesus stoops down and does something confusing. He begins to write in the sand. We don't even know what he wrote. We don't know what he wrote. But he begins to write in the sand. And then he says, let any of you who is without sin be the first to, th- to throw a stone at her. And then one by one, oldest to youngest, they walk away. Now, wh- I just think it's an interesting distinction. Oldest to youngest, they walk away. Maybe it was oldest to youngest because, you know, those uh, that were older, like, caught on quicker because they're wiser. But maybe it's because the older we get, the more we understand we need grace. The more we understand we've had, we, we have sin. It begins to pile up when you look back at a life and say, yeah, I've made some mistakes. Well, they begin to walk away. Every one of them has sinned. Then Jesus looks at the woman and he asks, has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? And she replies, no, sir. Verse 11, Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. He declared, go now and leave your life of sin. See, the environment of grace allows her to embrace the truth. Go now and leave your life of sin. Well, well, which way is it? I don't condemn you or you're a sinner. Which is it? I don't condemn you or you're a sinner. Yes. Jesus had to bring up the sin part. Then how can he say she's not condemned? Because he was full of grace and truth. If Jesus was all truth, then he would have said, you get what you deserve. You were caught in the act of adultery, stone her, kill her. She gets what she deserves. If Jesus was just all grace, he would have said, it's fine. Have sex with whoever you want to. Just do what feels right. You be you. See, grace doesn't mean that everything gets fixed. Grace means the truth no longer has to be hidden. There's grace. You're a sinner. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus invites each and every one of us into an honest relationship where we can truly be honest with ourselves. We can be honest with him and we can be honest with others. Stop trying to act like you're perfect because we all know you're not. And that's okay. See, what happens is when we grow up in the truth-leaning environments, we begin to think that it's not okay for us to make mistakes. We have to be perfect. And so then what happens is we control our image. We make sure everything, we look good and we say the right things and we do the right things so everyone knows that we're a good Christian. The environment of grace is what paves the way for truth. Because in order for us to get better, to grow, to become more like Jesus, he comes in with his grace and says, You got to be honest with yourself. See, we need grace to embrace truth. And number three, we need truth to embrace grace. See, if I'm not willing to be real about myself, then I don't think I even need grace. Did you know there are no perfect people allowed in the family of God? There's no perfect people allowed because none of us are perfect. So if you're perfect, you're not allowed. But guess what? You're not perfect. So welcome with the rest of us. Romans 3.23, Paul says, For everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, I've heard that verse spoken so many times, and it's a great verse. I love it. It's wonderful. But there's not a whole lot of grace in that verse. Hey, we've all messed up. God's got this glorious standard and you don't measure up to it. Be encouraged. Have a great day. No. He goes on. He says, yet God in his what? Amen. His grace freely. Jesus freely made us right in God's sight. He did this through Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. The truth is we have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We need to understand the truth so that we can embrace grace, that it's God who freely makes us right in his sight. It's not by anything we do that we're made right in God's sight. It's by his death on the cross. In order for us to embrace the grace that Jesus freely gives us, we need the truth. We need to understand the truth of our condition. We need to understand the place where we are without Jesus. Uh, A number of years ago, We were in Colorado at the time, and uh, we were living there, and we had this living room that was right next to our kitchen. So, like, the kitchen, then, like, little breakfast nook, and the living room, they're all connected in one room together. And then, as you looked into the living room, we had kind of created this little barrier, you know, to kind of section off the rooms a little bit. And then there was, like, the lounge chair and the couch were right next to each other so that you couldn't walk, you know, directly from the nook into the living room. You had to kind of go around. Well, one of our sons uh, was super young. He was a baby at the time. He was just at that point where he's, he's crawling. He's kind of standing up, but he's not really walking on his own a lot yet. And so I remember uh, I was in the kitchen, you know, kind of getting breakfast together or, or something. And I hear this son just start screaming, like this panicky cry scream. And so I run over there. And what he had done is he had crawled in between the couch and the chair. And you know how the couch and the chair, you know how they, like the bottom is smaller than the top arm. So like they kind of went up in this V. So the chair's here, couch there, and they kind of went up there. What he had done is he had crawled in between the, the chair and the couch, and then he had stood up. He had propped himself up, but now his head is stuck between the two, right? And he's just crying. He's like, "Wow, ah! ah, ah, he's freaking out you know, just completely, totally freaking out. And he's like, dad, mom, blah, blah, crying, you know? I mean, there's one. So I don't know if he was saying dad and mom clearly, but he's like, he's saying something, you know? You know, he was like, blah, 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 blah. so I come in there and like a good parent, I see what's happening and I immediately stop laugh, take a picture, post it on social, and then I rescue him, right? We're like, man, this is hilarious. Look at this. All you gotta do is go, you know, it's just funny. That's what parents do. But I, I come in and I take him and I'm like, just, Push his head down. It was, it was so easy for me to rescue. Like He wasn't even really in you know, moral danger or anything. He felt he was. And I pick him up. But here's the thing. Is, he had gotten himself into a place where he didn't know how to rescue himself. And he couldn't. I mean, he was stuck. He was not strong enough. He had gotten himself so wedged he was not strong enough to remove himself. Without the grace of God, we are helpless to improve our condition. There's no amount of good works we can do to earn our way into heaven. There's no amount of good works we can do to earn our way to salvation. We are completely hopeless and helpless without Jesus. But in his grace, he freely comes down and he rescues us. See, so here's the thing is we need truth because we need to understand without Jesus. We can't do it. We need the truth to embrace the grace. Without grace, we're stuck. So we're trying to figure this out, and and it's messy. It's messy. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, we just have to watch how Jesus loved. How did he love? He called sin, sin. He didn't say, it's fine. Don't worry about it. He called sin, sin, and then he paid for it. That's how Jesus loved. He said, that's sin, and that's wrong but I'm going to pay the price for it. The truth is you're a sinner, but grace means we're not condemned. So Jesus says, Jesus says, the truth is you're a sinner, but grace means I don't condemn you. See, the church is at its best. The family of God is at its best when it embraces grace and truth and refuses to let go of either. And it's going to get messy sometimes. See, there was a time in the past, and there will be a time in the future, in every single one of our lives, where we will need massive doses of grace and massive doses of truth. And the church, the family of God, is supposed to be the dispenser of both. We're supposed to be the dispensers of both grace and truth. So, growing spiritually, not being stagnant, it's not about behavior modification. It's about encountering the fullness of Jesus, about encountering his grace and his truth in their fullness. we got to hold on to both. We need grace to understand truth. We need truth to understand grace. So how do I do this? How do I grow spiritually? How do I encounter Jesus? How do I get uh, his presence, his essence, his nature, his care? How do I get that into me? How do I continually encounter Jesus? Here's the thing. One encounter with Jesus is not enough because our human nature constantly is going to have us drift away from Jesus. How do I continually encounter Jesus? The first one is through reading. It's through reading. I'm talking about reading scripture. But I think sometimes we, we almost mystify Bible reading. You know, It's like we make it into this big ordeal and it's really just how to, one way to encounter Jesus is to read, pick up scripture, And read it. And sometimes we have all these plans. You know, you got to read three days Uh, in Bible college. The one I went to, uh, the leader of our our Bible college, well, like the founding uh, uh, person, she would always get up and say, it's it's three and five. You got to read three chapters a day and five on Sunday. And that was her plan. Three chapters of scripture a day and five on Sunday. That's a great plan. If you want to do that, there is nothing wrong with that. That's great. But you don't have to do that. There's all kinds of ways to read scripture. We mystify it sometimes like I got to follow a strict plan. I got to read through the Bible in a year. If you want to do that, if you feel led to do that, that's great. I've done it multiple times. But there are sometimes I read one single verse and that's all I get through because I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is powerful. I just got to stop and think about this because God's moving in me. You know, I've heard so many different pastors and leaders. You know, I've been a pastor for a long time, been in, you know, ministry for a number of years. And so a lot of times as pastors, we we can have this question, you know, like, how much are we supposed to pray? Like, how much are we supposed to read the Bible? Partly, like, we get paid to be a Christian, kind of, like, you know, especially when you're full-time. It's like, what do you do? It's like, I'm a paid Christian, you know. They pay me full-time to just read my Bible and pray. Like, that's it. It's like, that's all we do, you know. Like, what does the pastors do? Like, well, you got an hour and a half on Sundays, and then you just read and pray. 24 hours a day the rest of the week, right? No. But there is this question, like a lot of times as pastors, like, well, all right. So, I mean, I'm, this, is what I'm, this is my job. How much am I supposed to pray? How much am I supposed to read scripture? And there's not really this litmus test out there, but there's a long time where I would like listen to other uh, pastors and leaders that I, you know, uh, looked up to. And I was always wondering, like, how, how much scripture do they read? How much, how long do they pray? Like for real, like 15 minutes, 30 minutes, six hours. Like, I want to know. And what I've come to find out over the years is that there is no consensus whatsoever. There's none. There's no rule. If God wanted us to read a certain amount a day, he probably would have told us. 11th commandment, read three chapters every day and five on Sunday. It's not in there. It's not. How do I continually encounter Jesus? I got to at least read some of it. Now, um, I was praying earlier, you know, kind of getting prepared for, for this. I almost ran back and fixed the slide uh, for, for number one, but I didn't because I didn't want to throw a, you know, uh, I didn't want to mess up uh, Maddie's plans back there and get her off during worship. But next to reading, I almost wrote reading and listening. Now, we can listen to Scripture using the YouVersion app. Pastor Gabriel talked about that. That's great. But I want to talk about a deeper type of listening. How do I encounter Jesus is whenever I pick up the word, whether I'm reading it physically or listening to it audibly with my external eyes and ears. Encountering Jesus through scripture is really about internally listening to what he wants to tell me today through what I'm reading. God, what do you want to say through this one verse, this chapter, whatever it may be? God, I'm going to be open. I'm going to listen. That's how we encounter Jesus. It's not reading scripture just for mental knowledge, but reading scripture for soul transformation. The greatest gift that God gave to us is his Holy Spirit and scripture. Holy Spirit embodies scripture. It is, the word is God-breathed. That's what it means. God breathed it out, and he—it's living. It's alive. It's active. It's like a two-edged sword, cuts between soul and marrow. I love that verse. It's a great one. Uh, how do I continually encounter Jesus? Reading scripture. The second thing, worship and prayer. Worship and prayer. How do I encounter Jesus? Worship and prayer. See, sometimes growing in our walk with faith, in our walk of faith, growing in the knowledge of Jesus, growing in the power of Jesus, is not getting some new information that we don't already know. It's just doing the things correctly that we know we're supposed to do. What did I just tell you? I told you to read your Bible and to pray. Whoa, profound. You know, that's all I'm saying. But we can, we can worship. We can pray. We can sing. We can say words. But our mind and our heart be far from what we're actually doing. How do we encounter Jesus listening to what he says through scripture, worshiping him for who he is, being completely connected to that act of worship, being completely connected to that act of prayer. How do I continually encounter Jesus? Through spiritual conversations. Number three, through spiritual conversations. See, whenever we gather together and we talk about God, it's an opportunity where we can encounter Jesus. It's why we gather here on Sundays, you know, is to... uh, like Pastor Gabriel said last week, to be devoted to the teaching, not to the apostle, to the teaching, right? To be devoted to to, to talk about God and to hear God talked about. But also we encounter Jesus when we get into those small group environments and we just talk about God. We talk about Jesus. We talk about our lives and what he's doing. When was the last time you sat with someone and just talked about what God was teaching you in your life? That's why we have small groups. It's so that we can gather in those those safe places to talk about what God is doing. So that grace and truth can be dispensed. So that when we're struggling, we have a people group around us that we trust. We can say, I'm really struggling with grief. I'm struggling with anger. Work is driving me crazy. My boss said, we're going to do this. And then two weeks later, he changed his mind and now we're doing this. And I worked for two weeks getting this together and I'm frustrated. And I know I'm supposed to be a light for Jesus, but I just need some help because I'm so mad at my boss right now. That's not a real, I'm fine. My boss is good right now. I'll be mad at him sooner. I'm soon. I'm sure just the way life goes. And I don't mean Gabriel here at the church. I also work outside, you know, Uh, I would never be angry at Gabriel ever, you know. Never like you would because there's no perfect people allowed except for Pastor Gabe. I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. You can hang out with him. He ain't perfect. How do we continually encounter Jesus through having spiritual conversations? Listen to first John chapter one, verse seven. John writes, if we are living in the light, what does it mean to live in the light? It means to not live in darkness. See, grace doesn't mean everything gets fixed, but grace means we don't have to hide anymore. If we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. True biblical fellowship comes when we're honest with one another, when we're living in the light. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. I have a couple questions for you today to consider before we close. Have you encountered Jesus lately? Have you had an authentic encounter with the presence and the power of Jesus recently? Have you truly truly encountered his person, his presence, his grace, his truth? My next question is, Have you been encountering him regularly? There are times, you know, I'm pretty principled in my life. I'm a structured type of person, you know, much to the chagrin of others in my household. But I like structure. So I I read scripture pretty consistently. I pray consistently because I like structure. And so I do this. But there's been times... Where I could honestly tell you, I've read the Bible every single day for a month and I haven't encountered Jesus once. Because I'm just going through the motions. Because I like structure, I know that I'm supposed to do it three a day, five on Sunday. My youth pastor growing up, he said, you just need to read one chapter of the Bible every single day. One chapter of the Bible. Commit to it for the rest of your life. And I can honestly say, probably for about 15 years, I read at least one chapter every single day because my youth pastor told me to. And let me tell you, Psalm 117, shortest chapter in the Bible. Probably read it a thousand times. because, like, I'm going to get that chapter in. Boom. Done. Because I like structure. But there are times where I can follow my structure but not encounter Jesus Have you been encountering the person and the presence and the power of Jesus regularly? And if not, my last question for you to consider. What adjustment do you need to make in your life to begin to do that? What's just some small adjustments you need to make? Maybe you need to have some structure because you're not a structured person. Maybe you have structure, but you just need to change it up a little bit. I don't know what it is. What's that small adjustment? Maybe it's you need to, you know, I mean go through all the lists that all the pastors know, like turn off Netflix and don't listen to that and do that. Uh, maybe that is the adjustment you need to make. Maybe that's not it at all. Maybe you're doing it, going through the motions. You're just not really encountering Jesus. I'm not the Holy Spirit, thankfully for all of us. But I know the Holy Spirit lives in me. He lives in you. And he's going to reveal to you the small adjustments you need to make in your life if you're open. If we're open, we say, God, there's this sin in my life. I can't get out. There's this happening. Or I just, God, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not experiencing you, but I want to. Show me. Show me what adjustment I need to make. You know, there's this verse where it says the steps of the righteous or other versions, you know, uh, translated different. But basically, the, they all get the, the general sense is correct that the steps are ordered by God. But so many times in the Christian life, we want God to order like the giant leaps. We want to make those big jumps. We're like, okay, God, I want to go do that. And I want to have this and I want to have this. And God's like, no, no, there's just this next, there's just this one next step. And I'm going to order that step for you. So if we're open and we listen and say, God, I want to encounter you. I need to make a small adjustment. What's that next step that I need to make in my life? What's just that? This week. I'm writing this, you know, getting it ready. And I begin to pray. It was Thursday morning, getting up, you know, doing my thing because I like structure. And I was like, hmm, what small adjustments do I need to make? And instantly there was like two things that popped into my mind. I was like, ooh, that was a little too quick. That was a little too quick. Obviously that was the Lord. I was like, all right, I need to make those adjustments. There's never going to be a time where we reach this place where we don't have to make small adjustments. What's that small adjustment you need to make today? Have you encountered Jesus lately? Are you encountering him regularly? What adjustments do you need to make? First John chapter one, and I'm going to end with this eight and nine. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. There is a key uh, spiritual practice that a lot of times is a part of encountering Jesus regularly. Encountering Jesus today is a part of that small adjustment. It's the spiritual practice of confession. See, confession and repentance are both actions of truth and grace. Sometimes we're scared to confess because we're afraid. We have this idea that God's this angry, you know, that we're sinners in the hands of an angry God. All of us, sometimes we believe that. Well, he's so angry, so if I tell him all the bad stuff that I'm doing, He's just going to make him more mad. We're missing the grace. God invites us at all times, come come and confess those sins. Tell me what's going on. Tell me the mistakes you've made. Because it's through that act of confession for you speaking the truth that there is grace. And then truth brought in. But Jesus says, you're forgiven. You're cleansed. Now, since you're cleansed, now because you're forgiven, we get to start fresh. We get to, we get to do this again. Let's start over. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just. Maybe you're in here this morning and you say, well, you don't know what I've done. I've been lying for years. I've been stealing for years. I've been doing this, that, any number of things for years. I'm too far gone. No, you're not. You are not too far gone. You know how we know this? Jesus is on the cross and there's two people next to him that are dying. Like they're being executed because of their sin. And Jesus tells one of them, you're forgiven. You're going to hang out with me in heaven today. It doesn't matter how far gone you may think you are, you're not, because he says, if we confess, if we repent, he is faithful. He doesn't say he's faithful only to a certain point, only if you've been sinning for like two years instead of 17. I sat with a gentleman, oh, I was probably eight or nine years ago now. We were at a coffee shop. I remember it so vividly. And he began to tell me for 23 years he had been living in sin. 23 years. And he said, I just want to tell you. Because last week, for the first time, I got before God. I confessed my sin to him. I asked him to forgive me. And he forgave me. It's like, now I want to make sure I, don't, I, I take the right steps to get better. I was like, great. That's awesome. He's like, so I'm telling you. He's like, I'm telling this person. I'm telling that person. I was like, Awesome two years later, he's like, hey, I was set free. I was so, he said, I was so afraid to tell God what was going on because I thought he would just be mad. It had been too long. God is faithful. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to invite the prayer team up front. We're going to have some people up here to pray with you this morning. And if you say, you know what, I just, I want to encounter Jesus. I want to, I want to know him. I want to be pulled a little closer. I want to move a little deeper. I want to know his heart. But I've been struggling. I want to invite you up. We have people here that they're going to pray for you. You don't need to tell them everything that's going on in your life. If you want to, go ahead. You can confess. You can be honest and open with him, but you don't have to. You can just say, I'd like some prayer. Or this morning, maybe you said, you know what? I have not been following Jesus at all. I've not been following him. I've been scared. I've been nervous. I've made so many mistakes. I said, but yeah, I'd like to begin that. I want to follow Jesus today. Understanding his grace. I know the truth that I'm helpless without him. I have sinned in my life, but because of his grace, he's inviting me and I want to make that step. I'm just going to invite you to come up and pray and tell one of these people, they're just here to pray for you and to love on you. Our worship team's going to sing for a minute and I just want to invite you to pray. But before we do that, Heavenly Father, I just invite you into this room. God, we know that you're already here. God, but I just invite you into the hearts of each one of us that just need some help on this journey. God, I pray that we would know that because of your grace, we can be honest. We don't have to hide and conceal. but we can be open and honest. Father, I pray for everyone in here this morning that just needs that encouragement of someone else praying for them today. I pray that you'd move on their heart right now and that they would come up for prayer so you can show them that there is power. There's power when we stand together and pray. In Jesus' name.